Listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, um, this is it. I mean, this is it. This this podcast has been one giant 110 episode lead up to this moment right we've been waiting for this bracket this is this is one this is a bracket in which we established this entire show for this week and the next we are talking the best disneyland attraction bracket this is a behemoth of one this is I don't even know where we go from here. This do we peak? Is this it? This After is this, it. we jump the shark, and then we just got to stop. We got to quit. This is this is all it is. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited. This all of our studying, all of our brackets. We're going to be referencing so much in this bracket, and you know, we had to go back to someone that we know well, someone that knows what we are all about, someone that knows the parks very well. It is the returning guest host and resident parks expert, Tess. Tess, welcome back to Mouse Madness. Thanks for having me back again, guys. Uh, so soon. Uh, you guys aren't tired of me yet, apparently. No, we actually need you because I don't know how <laughs> we're going to get through this bracket at all. Um, we know that the, now that the parks are back in full swing, now that there's an annual pass sort of system that is in place. We know that you're getting back to the park. So you seem like the perfect person to ask to jump onto this. So we appreciate you giving us your time for the fifth or sixth consecutive. You, we're going to have to get you one of those uh, like Saturday night live jackets after you host. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, this is fifth, the fifth time. So it's a, uh... Hopefully the listeners aren't tired of it, but I'm excited to be here because my favorite thing is to talk about the parks. So you guys are going to have to reel me in because you know how much I love to talk about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And one of our most favorite things besides the park, probably coming in a close second is drinking. It's mm -hmm. time to talk spoonful of sugar. Chris, what do you have this week? Well, folks, I made it. Your boy made it to the Bay Area. We are here and, and we are not in... We, we, we are not uh, in-person podcasting quite yet. Nope. But yet. Uh, our gravitational pull is getting closer and closer and stronger and stronger. Um, and last night or yesterday evening, uh, I got to see Kyle for the first time in like a couple of years since oh, yeah. like we were like 10 episodes deep into Mouse Madness. <laughs> it's been so long. Um, and I picked up this mattress in a box that I had shipped to his house and we could do yep. a whole mini episode on the saga of this mattress <laughs> in a box. But uh, when, when Nina saw me, she was like, you seem off. Have you been hydrating? And I kind of had to be like, 
No, no, I have not. Nope. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I copped out and I was drinking a glass of water on last episode, but I'm doing it again because I, I need that Good. hydration. Um, but this time it's not Atahualan iceberg water. This is straight up uh, Pirates of the Caribbean water I'm drinking right now. <laughs> Because uh, it came it came out of my new fridge, which has one of those built-in water spigots, and it tastes just uh, a little bit funky. It does not taste fresh like nope. Atahualan iceberg water does. It tastes it tastes like it's got some some chemicals in it, like that pirate's water. But hey, uh, got to do what you got to do to stay hydrated. Kyle, what do you got? I am drinking what is called a Barbados rum punch, and this drink is two ounces of Barbados rum. Uh, one ounce of demerara sugar, one ounce of lime juice. You shake that all up, throw a dash of Angostura bitters into it, and mm, you've got yourself just a, a rummy tiki drink. And for this episode, I'm going to call it the Barbados Rum Punch It Chewy. Because, of course, you have to go with it. Tess, what are you drinking tonight? I am also on that rum train. I oh. love me some cut water canned cocktails. So Let's go. um this this is the mojito, which I have not tried yet. Ah. This is newly being sold at Albertson's. Um I'm gonna go with some alliteration, some attraction vibes. So let's see if I can get all the oh, I gotta add another one. Let's see. <laughs> Mickey's Millennium Matterhorn Mansion Mojito. Ah, yes. We'll take it. We'll take it. Um, I'm missing the fresh mint, but it'll do. It'll it'll get the job done. It'll get the job done. That's for sure. Chris, will we get the job done in the pull of the pod this week? We are on our quest to find Mr. Tom Morrow out of these 50th anniversary upper deck. I've been saying tops. They're upper deck cards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, we have another we have another pack. Will Mr. Tom Morrow be in this one? Let's find out right now. The first card we pull is a great moment card, and it is called Castle Fireworks. So it's literally uh, just a photo of the castle and some fireworks. Um, kind of lame card. We'll, we'll let it go. Oh, here we go. Debut attractions, 1966. This attraction happens to be on our bracket. It's a small world. Let's go. Classic. Yeah. It's funny that they use a photo of the Christmas time small world on the celebration of a debut attraction. It's photography. Uh, they're, they're slipping again. They're slipping again. Mm -hmm. Another debut attraction, 1955. We've talked about this before. It's the stagecoach. Uh, these things used to flip over. And I kind of wish that I was around to see it because that is <laughs> incredible. <laughs> and our final card before the attraction poster is not Mr. Tom Morrow. We'll be back next week. It is 1967's Rocket Jets. <laughs> so, We're close. Kind we of a dead of a, on that one. Kind of, kind of a dead of a pack this time around. And the attraction poster is actually, you know, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's Nature's Wonderland via the mine train through Rainbow Caverns. I've never seen this poster before. Uh, That's pretty I, cool. I like that. I like the um, the legend and the lore of the rainbow train, the the mine train through rainbow caverns a lot. And we're going to talk about it a little bit on this bracket for sure. Um, but unfortunately, this mine train did not pull up to the station, and deliver a little Tom Morrow to us. So we're going to have to be back next time around. Uh, 
Tess, I need a temperature check. Who does anybody care about these pull of the pods? Tell me as a <laughs> as a diehard listener, are you guys glued to your your earbuds just waiting for Tom Morrow to show up? Well, I think I wasn't paying attention the first time that you were introducing it, so I didn't know who he was, so I was confused. <laughs> but then I started um, using some more active listening skills, and I, yeah, I mean, it's pretty great. I mean, I don't know if the listeners are super stoked about this poll, but that's just, you know, leave them on the edge of their seats for next week. It's fine. I, I think it's a fun little addition. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, hey, this bracket needed some professional opinions for the field of 16. All right. Like we're not messing around with this. We're not trying to get dads in cargo shorts or, you know, popcorn <laughs> vendors or people posing with uh, Mickey Mouse balloons on Main Street for Instagram. But well, we wanted the diehards. We want uh, some strong, educated attractions opinions for this bracket. So we went ahead and asked magic key holders. Yep. It is time to get the APs back involved in some bracket deciding. Um, Tess, you are a magic key holder. What do they call you? What, you're, you're just a magic key, keyer? Key master? That's salt in the wound because Disneyland um, doesn't like my credit card. So I am Ooh. not a key holder yet. Um, so I'm going, the workaround is I'm going to the parks on Saturday. I bought a park ticket and I will upgrade in person um, and just believe the person on the phone that it will work. And if it doesn't work, I they also told me they will help me. At the <laughs> yeah, that, that's a So I don't know what we're called. Um, I, um, the branding's weird. I know you guys talked about it on Discord. But the one cool thing about the branding was that with um, the AP logo, they would um, they had an option to have that stitched on your hats, uh, like the Mad, Mad Hatter and things. And they're doing that again with the Magic Key. Um, and that the logo is pretty tight. Um, so I like that. But yeah, I guess we're key holders. But I guess it's confusing because that's language that they use for cast members. Like there's different keys that are like the, I don't know, the rules of being a cast mm. member. So the branding is really bad. Yeah. So I don't know what we are, but um, I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm very excited to find out. So these magic key holders were asked, what are the best attractions? At Disneyland. There's no better group of people to ask this question. What are the best attractions? And they gave us a ton. And through the survey, we narrowed it down to the most popular 16. But of course, because there's more than that in this park, a few missed the dance. Chris, I have two. My first one, Star Tours. I really enjoy Star Tours. And that's not on mm. this bracket. I, I like simulation rides like this. I enjoy... The nostalgia of Star Tours because I remember my baby mind being blown when I first went on this. And so I love going on it now, still to this day, uh, because it does, it still does rattle you. This thing is not a soaring simulator. This thing is like kind of jolting you around. Um, the recent scenes from the movies that have come out, cool. I don't really care, uh, but I really enjoy Star Tours. And the number two, the Enchanted Tiki Room. I mean, if I'm going to sit here and drink some rum, I got to talk a little bit about the Enchanted Tiki Room. I think that that's a for those who are not, you know, in depth in are not immersed in kind of the Disney culture and the Disney history might not care too much about what the Enchanted Tiki Room is. So I get that. 
But I would expect some of these pass holders to to vote a little higher on it. It's an iconic attraction. It's something that really paved the way for how the company was going to develop animatronics moving forward. It was it's and it's just fun. It's fun. Uh, we predicted what last June, June 2020, that this thing would be out by now <laughs> because of the cultural depictions of the birds of where they're from. And it's still there. So, uh, you know, I, I'll go ahead and predict by the end of 2022, this attraction will be changed. It won't wow. have Iago in, I hope, but uh, it, it'll be changed. Uh, Chris, what were a couple or, or one or so for you? Uh, what you think about little Alan Adale, new host of the Enchanted Tiki Room? I'd be down. I'd be down. Let's go. Um, Mr. Dance for me, I got a couple of kind of interesting ones, I guess. Oh, in our best Disney attraction type bracket, I, I rode pretty hard for interactive shooter attractions. Uh, so the one for me that missed the dance here is Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. Love the way that that interactive element kind of takes it to the next level when you're talking about building memories uh, like as a family or as uh, friends or something like that. Uh, I, I just love everyone kind of seems to have a stupid smile on their face when they hop off those interactive shooter rides. So I really appreciate that about Buzz Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. And it is far superior to Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin at the Magic Kingdom, which is in desperate need of an update. The other one for me that missed the dance is an extremely uh, far-fetched Hail Mary one. It is the Disney Gallery. There's To me, the parks are this beautiful blend of art and engineering and history. And I think popping into the Disney Gallery and taking a look at some of those uh, concept art pieces and just like general uh, art pieces that the parks have inspired i think it's kind of a cool place to just chill for a second and get away from the hustle and bustle of the park and i don't know it kind of it kind of grounds me a little bit when i when i go in there i really loved it when it was above pirates of the caribbean uh there was a sweet deck out back that it was just awesome to just kind of kick your feet up for a bit where like no one else is hanging out uh now you get roped into mr lincoln if you go into the disney gallery which is not (laughs) ideal (laughs) <laughs> but uh it's a it, it, it's a place that like if someone had never been to the parks before i'd be like check just check out the disney gallery take like five or ten minutes just like peek in there and you'll see how big of a deal uh this whole this whole project really is tess any missed the dance for you um n- most of my favorites made it in except you know some of the dark rides are in this bracket and i think out of all of them snow white's enchanted wish um should have been in the running just mm. that upgrade made it it was such a pleasant surprise and i'm not going to say more than that because i think everyone should experience it for themselves but um just ask mandy i was audibly gasping and awing <laughs> at all the little things it was way better way better than any stupid little Peter Pan upgrade that there's been where they just add one little thing. It was a complete transformation. So I think it should have been in the red. All right. That is fair. That is fair. Well, we have 16 that are in the running. So let's let's get into it. Let's hop in. Let's announce this bracket of 16. Cue the dramatic music. Chris, lead us off. Stopping and dropping suddenly into the number one spot is Space Mountain. Herkin and jerkin over at the number two seed is the Indiana Jones Adventure. 
Putting your fingers to the test with the number three seed is Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. Pillaging its way at the number four seed is Pirates of the Caribbean. Speeding its way to the number five seed in under a minute is Peter Pan's Flight. Making really awkward eye contact with me in a boat for way too long is the number six seed. It is the Jungle Cruise. Why doesn't every single person in here go ahead and say the number seven seed with me? It's the Haunted Haunted Mansion. Mansion. Hold on to your hats. At the number eight seed, it's the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Making a grand trip around the Magic Kingdom is the number nine seed, the Disneyland Railroad. With Mr. Bluebird on its shoulder, at the number 10 seed, it's Splash Mountain. We've got the number 11 seed on repeat again and again and again and again. It's it's a small world. Heading straight to hell at the number 12 seed is Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. <sighs> Choose your fighter because the number 13 seed is Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. Spinning and spinning till it just can't stop is the number 14 seed. It is the Mad Tea Party. Yodeling its way into the number 15 seed is Matterhorn Bobsleds. There is an attempt and I appreciate it. That was it. Yeah, I didn't realize how bad I am at yodeling until I (laughs) attempted it just now. I was like, what could go wrong? (laughs) What could go wrong? Promoting breaking and entering at the number 16 seed is Mickey's house and meeting Mickey. All right, Tess, we have 16 attractions at the <laughs> Disneyland park. One that promotes crime. Uh, what do you think about this ranking? What do you think about this bracket? You know, I think we're just going to kind of see how it goes. Some of the matchups are super going to be super easy, knock on wood, and other ones are going to be tougher. So I'm excited to see where it goes. You just tempted Chris to make it not easy, so. Correct. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about this first matchup. First. Uh, I mean, I'll take this. You know, if we're talking about making things interesting in the first round, uh, how about this matchup? Number one, Space Mountain versus number 16, Mickey's House. Okay, so uh, I'm going to be a Mickey's House defender for a second here. This okay. is... This is not really like a like a ride. This is just everyone walk back into two town into to the depths of Disneyland Park. Like it's yeah. way back there. Yeah. Let's wait in line for like 90 minutes, which is a super long time to meet a character. Uh, and then let's let's have like five to 10 seconds with Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and I haven't done it in a while, but maybe you can kind of like correct me here. But you go through his house and there's like there's like a couple little rooms and then you like go out into like his garden and then you eventually end up in like this giant theater, which is like dark and small and it's playing old Mickey cartoons. And then there's like four or five like doors and you go into a different door and there's usually a different Mickey behind each door and you never know which one you're going to get. It's like you could get Sorcerer Mickey, you could get classic Bowtie Mickey. It seems like kind of kind of a a long wait to do something that seems so simple. And to be honest, like, I don't know how inspired little kids are by Mickey Mouse these days, unless they're fans of the new Mickey Mouse uh, cartoons, which I am not. Which are very good. But I, like, I'm not going to lie. Uh, there is something kind of like impressive or like regal 
about walking in that door and seeing Mickey there waiting for you, just looking very pristine and just like a like the boss that he is. Okay. <laughs> and like you know, I. I I, I've said this before. Like, I like meet and greets. I like yeah. posing for pictures with characters. Mickey's not one of those characters that you can like banter with, like a Gaston or like a Chewbacca or something. But I like, especially for people like who haven't been to the parks very often. I think I think meet and greets are a fun thing. Okay. 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 Yeah. I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think there yeah. are a lot of people out there that do like them. Right. Meeting Mickey. I like it. I think it's <laughs> <Okay>. fun. <laughs> I think like I think it's worth I think it's worth doing once in a while. Obviously, if you go to the parks like all the time, which a lot of people go to Disneyland Park all the time. I don't know that you need to wait in line to go see Mickey every single time, but maybe like I said, pop in with someone who hasn't been for a really long time or been before at all, go in with some kids. I think it's cool. I think it's I think it deserves to be on this bracket because this whole thing is about Mickey. He's in the he's in the middle, he's in the hub, he's holding Walt's hand. Like this is all Quote, unquote, it all started with a mouse. So right. um, I would love to see Mickey's house get a little upgrade. Not going to lie. A little, yeah. little reno. Probably deserves it. Haven't been in it since 1998, but I'm sure it's, that it yeah. deserves it. Yeah, it, it needs an, a new open concept floor pa- plan. It could use, <laughs> you know, some updated appliances. Spe- and Speaking of that, uh, I watched a, a walkthrough of it. Somebody going through the entire house, which is a massive house it takes so long to get through to get to mickey you pass through his laundry room and he's doing a load of laundry washing machine is like rattling and 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 spinning and and turning and you go to your left like you turn to the left to the wall there's a calendar there the year and the date of that calendar is february of 1942 so are we supposed to be in 1942 visiting mickey or has mickey been enslaved by the company and has been trapped in his own garage meeting and greeting people since 1942 and has just never been able to one get that load of laundry out and two change his calendar it's definitely the second one it's definitely the second one free mickey hashtag free mickey Let's go, Momad Nation. <laughs> Hashtag free Mickey. Let's get that trending. We can we can do it. All all twenty five of us. Let's let's go. Tweet you it. just you just like hop onto Toontown one day and Mickey has no shirt on and he's just sprinting <laughs> towards it's a small world. <laughs> exactly. Um, so so Mickey's house. Uh, is a destination that I think we should all give some respect to. It's going up against Space Mountain, which is a, just an impressive feat of engineering. Like if you've never taken the time to kind of like research how the attraction works, I think they did it on this new series. What is it called? The, the Behind the Attraction. Yeah. Behind the Attraction. It's, I don't like that show. I think it's very goofy. No pun intended, but I could not watch there are too many like weird jokes, too many you're weird too, like forced jokes. You're too in tuned with Disney history to watch this that is way more entertainment than it is education. Fair. And it's really so, geared towards kids the way the narration is. It's yes. yes. very it's very dumbed down. No disrespect to anyone who does like that show, but like you said Kyle, it's just like it's retreading. It, it's like the top layer. Uh, when it comes to like information about a lot of this stuff, but it does cover the very sophisticated computers that are 
installed on Space Mountain, which have not really changed a whole lot the way the system works since the attraction opened in what, like the 70s or something? 1977. Yeah, so um, I don't want to like go into what block zones are <laughs> on this episode because <laughs> I could talk for a very long time about like what block zones are on a roller coaster. Go check out El Toro Ryan's YouTube channel if you want to hear someone talk eloquently about block zone breaking for a really long time. But basically like most big roller coasters only have between one and three trains on them at a time um, because the block zones are what keeps the cars from crashing into each other. And usually on a roller coaster, there's two to three block zones and two of them are like the end and the station. So Space Mountain has like 20 block zones or like something absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, and there is a very sophisticated computer that keeps all of that information in check so that the rockets can be deployed every few seconds. Um, it's really impressive how many people get through that attraction safely uh, and quickly. Yeah. Um, the, the ride itself, uh, if we're judging it as a roller coaster, it's very like, eh, like it's okay. Um, obviously it doesn't go super fast. I think the top speed is what, like 26 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, something like that. Um, but the darkness of the attraction and the speed of the star projections makes it feel like you are going much faster than you actually are. But a lot of very tight turns, um, and very short drops that kind of keep you, um, and your body guessing as to what is coming next. Something that Disney does really well with their roller coasters is, making them just entertaining and thrilling enough that you get off and you're like, whoa, that was kind of a rush, but yeah. not so much that you're like, I need a break <laughs> Right. For, for most people. Like there are people, people that are very sensitive to forces, but um, I mean, it's, it's very common to go to like a Six Flags or a Cedar Fairs park and go on some type of 200 foot plus monster with a ton of inversions. And you're just like, I need a, I need a second. I need to get some food. I need to get some water or like, I need to just chill out because my head hurts and my body's a bit disoriented. Yep. A space mountain, the type of roller coaster you can marathon again and again, uh, no matter how high your tolerance for forces is on roller coasters. Uh, there is like a theme or a story of Space Mountain. I, I, I've been told it several times, but I can never quite remember what it is. Uh, but I think all you really need to know, or at least all I need to know is that you were on a rocket ship going through space. <laughs> Basically. Like, obviously you are not, but the theming like for a roller coaster is unparalleled when comparing it to other theme park competitors, uh, like, yes, of course, uh, sea world parks, Cedar fair parks, that kind of stuff. Um, who am I going for with this matchup? It's definitely going to be space mountain. Mickey's house, like I said, it's something you do once in a while. Space Mountain's definitely a must ride, especially the Disneyland Park version. So many of these rides, the Disneyland version is far superior. I'll talk about a few of them throughout the episode, but Space Mountain is definitely one of those. Um, the, the single file seating can be thrilling sometimes for some attractions. Um, Space Mountain, definitely you don't have any loss of thrills by being side by side with your riding partner. Um, I'm all for it. I love it. Definitely advancing. I'm definitely going to advance Space Mountain as well. Uh, I have, I took a ton of notes for this episode <laughs> or for this bracket because you know me, I'm the history dude. So I love to, I love to dive deep into some of this stuff. So I'll get into a little bit of, of uh, Space Mountain history on the next episode because it's kind of fascinating. 
uh, the ways, the iterations that have come from its initial form. But what I did like about Mickey's house, one, I don't remember it being quite as massive as it is, like of a walkthrough. You're walking for a while. Uh, like I said, I haven't been on it since, or I haven't been through his house since I was like a kid, 1998 or so. So watching this like walkthrough of it was pretty fun because you get to see, you know, it's very Toontown gaggy, right? There's a bunch of, like I said, the laundry, the washing machine is is rumbling and rolling and you go into his garden, there's a gopher like stealing carrots out of the carrot bed. And um, my favorite part was going through his, what the sign said was Mickey's movie barn. And there's mm, yeah. a bunch of props from his shorts as if he like kept everything right, and, right. and put them in there. So you see like the basket of potatoes that he was peeling in Steamboat Willie and you see his uh, coat from uh, the band concert hanging up above your head. Like those little things are so great for somebody who like me really enjoys Mickey Mouse's history and and what he served in the and as a uh, a beacon of light during this like depressive era in American history, that kind of stuff. So it's really cool to see that uh, as you walk through. But Space Mountain is superior. When I'm thinking about these attractions, like what makes the best Disneyland attraction, I'm really thinking about theming. I'm thinking about immersion. I'm thinking about uh, enjoyability. I'm thinking about tying back to where it is in the park. Uh, all of those things need to be done extremely well to be considered the best. And while Mickey's does that, it's his house in the place that he lives. Uh, it's def it's just not as good of an attraction, in my opinion, for the masses as Space Mountain's uh, appeal is. So I'm going to advance number one as well. Tess, do you have any disagreements with that? Nope. It's roller coaster versus walkthrough. Pretty, pretty straightforward. All right. Let's move on to the next matchup. It's the Battle of the Trains, baby. We got the Big let's Thunder go. Mountain Railroad at the number eight seed versus the number nine Disneyland Railroad. Oh, Sorry, my I had, goodness. I had to hat change. I had a hat change because since the last time I recorded with you guys, I now have a big thun big thunder ears. Oh see of Mandy. It's hard to see, but there is an emblem and there is the fabric. So you'll be seeing some oh, outfit dude. changes. I, oh, I like that. I like that. Y'all are y'all are like crazy with the ears. Yeah, it's an obsession. It, for Mandy it was a quarantine obsession, just not getting off Etsy, and she just kind of get, gets me into it. So yeah. All right, Chris, we have not talked about Big Thunder, I don't think, really on this podcast, because whenever we've talked about the parks, it's been like a track ride system, which we would have mentioned it in Roller Coaster, but not dive dove into it. We've talked about soundtracks, not really a soundtrack on this on this attraction. So this is the first time we're actually talking about it. Um, This is a. Tony Baxter baby right here. And this is Tony Baxter, the Disney legend, the Disney Imagineer who uh, really helped and stood by Michael Eisner's side uh, during the Eisner years. And even just right before it, he's been an Imagineer forever or had been. And no, he's not dead. He's just retired. And, uh, and he took what Mark Davis wanted to do in Walt Disney World, which was this Western River Expedition project that never got off the ground. It was going to be this beefed up frontier land area in Disney World that they never made happen. But part of that plan was this runaway mine train. 
And years later, uh, Disneyland had this problem in which they couldn't get young adults to the park. This seemed like a little kiddie park. It's Disneyland. It's Mickey Mouse. It's cartoon characters. So what do we need? Well, 1977, let's throw in a thrill coaster in the dark. That is Space Mountain. And then let's follow that up because it's so popular and get more people in the parks with a little big Thunder Mountain Railroad. So this attraction sits in Frontierland. And if you've never been on it, I can't imagine why you're listening to this podcast, but it is a train roller coaster through the buttes of this Frontierland uh, area. It is on the same land that we've talked about where the pack mules were, where the uh, mine train through Nature's Wonderland, which is the attraction card we got, was. So there's a lot of elements from it. Uh, for instance, in one of the lift hills, you go up and you see the rainbow caverns. Uh, you still go through them and there's these pools of, uh, I don't remember what's stalagmite and what is the other one. One goes Stalactite goes, is uh, on top. Okay. So those are dripping down into these pools that are radiating these colors and they look like rainbows. And so that's paying homage to the attractions that came before it. Uh, you round out the attraction by going through Rainbow Ridge, which is the tiny town that you used to go through during the pack mules and the stagecoaches and all that stuff. So it's really, it's really cool as like a Disney history fan that all of those elements still exist with the kind of modern thrill attraction that Disney was trying to push in the 70s. So this is 1979. Uh, it's basically gone unchanged except for enhancements to effects. And in 2013 and 14, they made that final lift hill just phenomenal. You're going through this like haunted, what is basically like a haunted train that is rolling you through the West. And you go up this last lift hill through this like dynamite holding house and they all start catching on fire. The fuses do and they, they're running up the sides of the, the, the they're running up the sides of this like barn and it's going up as long with you like up the walls as you're ascending up and it all culminates at this huge explosion at the top of the hill. And depending where you are in the train, it's either really terrifying or you miss it, or you're really too far away for, for it to affect you. But steam and lighting effects blow out, and it originally looked fairly convincing like fire. Like the, the first, if you went in like 2014 to 15, prime time. That <laughs> effect looked great. Uh, you go anytime now, a little slacking. Like uh, sometimes the, the lighting effect works, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes the mist works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's great. And I have a lot of fun on it as a roller coaster. And I'm not a big roller coaster guy like you, Chris, who, who can tell me that I'm wrong, that there's a single rail coaster in every <laughs> Six Flags Parker, like whatever. But, but I like it as a coaster. The only thing that I don't like is that two things I don't like. Uh, if you sit anywhere that's middle up, you're, you're not going anywhere. That is the slowest part of the train. And it, Every time you go through a hill, it has to wait for that caboose to get there. But even more so than most coasters, it felt like. Uh, so you, you got to sit in the back half, in my opinion. And then number two, that final lift hill. You're going up. Things are catching on fire. There's an explosion over your head. This should be a splash mountain drop to your death. This building just exploded on you moment. And what do you do? Little bunny hill. Little, little, little flutter. And then you just kind of round your way back into the station. What? What is that? 
That should be the biggest moment. It's fun to like feel the reaction of the coaster, though, that everyone feels like it's a letdown. But the but cruising back, like it's like a bunny hill, and then the turn is pretty is sharp enough. You know, you get a yeah. little bit of thrill if you're not paying attention. I wonder if it was like intentionally made to be like a fake out, like, oh, everyone's gonna think that you're gonna drop, and then like, oh no, we got you. Ha ha, everybody laughs, and then you just spin out of control back to the station. Whatever their intention was, I hate it. It was dumb. Uh, that's my least. I hate that. Disneyland Railroad, 1955. We talked about this on the 55 bracket. Uh, it's a iconic attraction in Disneyland. Disneyland was built on the back of this railroad. Walt was obsessed with these trains. If he was going to build a park, a train was going to be involved, whether this park was going to be in Burbank or Anaheim. This train was going to happen somewhere. There are five trains that exist for this railroad. The CK Holiday. Most of them are actually named after presidents of the Santa Fe Railroad uh, back in the day. So the CK Holiday, the E.P. Ripley, the Fred Gurley, and the Ernest S. Mash. Uh, They were all, except for the Fred Gurley, built basically in the 1900s. But Fred Gurley, that was built in 1894. So that's kind of crazy. Um, And then the fifth one is the Ward Kimball, who is obviously named after Ward Kimball, who really sparked... Walt's love for trains uh, as they work together at the company. You go around the park. You hear it everywhere you are, basically in every land. You can hear that horn going. The really funny part for me is that if you bring somebody on it for the first time in the narrations, like, welcome to the Grand Circle Tour of Walt's Magic Kingdom or whatever he says. And then suddenly, like, you're in a tunnel and there's dinosaurs (laughs) trying to explain that to people i can't even explain i'm like well this was a diorama of things that was like left over from the world's fair and they're like "Mm, we got this train that it can go through yes uh so here's a diorama it's it's a silly part that makes close to no sense to me I agree totally. Okay, (laughs) I don't. Okay, I would never. I would. Yeah, I would never defend primeval, primeval world, primordial world. What is it called? Primeval world diorama. Primeval world diorama. There's an attraction at Disney's Animal Kingdom that just closed. Primeval world. But (laughs) um, so I get I get that naming confused all the time. No, the primeval world section is very strange. Yeah, Uh, this train goes through Splash Mountain, so like the now defunct people mover over on Tomorrowland, you can get a little preview of an attraction that you might want to go on, especially at that time in the late eighties, this thing got built. The train just existed. So they just built it around instead of move the train. I kind of like that. That's a fun part of the ride. Um, When they built galaxy's edge, they had to make the train make its very first left turn. That was a huge deal. People (laughs) lost their minds about that. (laughs) which i love that people are that invested and that new part of check is really nice it's really serene uh you got this uh beaver that's about to break down a bridge on your left uh it's nice that's a really nice part of the the train ride so if you're matching these two up like the best disneyland attraction big thunder this this roller coaster runaway train versus disneyland railroad which is just it's the train that brings you around the park. You see the sights. You kind of get a scope of the land. Ah, man, as much as I want to be 
the the railroad guy i think i have to go big thunder here i enjoy the theming of the queue i enjoy the theming of the coaster the story of the coaster i enjoy the homage it pays to the the land it's built on i think that it's a a resemblance of what walt had said which i hate we all know i hate it what would walt do we don't care he's dead but like he always said that this park this park was never finished right (laughs) so they're forever going to build on it and what area of this park has been developed and redeveloped more than that spot right there big thunder mountain has changed six or seven times and it's always paid homage to itself i'm gonna go big thunder here that that's a really good argument i like that actually um I want to defend the final drop of please. Big Thunder Mountain. I hate it, please. Um, well, first of all, a chain lift is a block section of sorts. So very rare for a roller coaster to have two chain lifts. Even more rare to have three chain lifts. Okay. So um, that's a very quirky, interesting part of Big Thunder. Height is difficult because with height comes speed. And with speed, you need space to burn that speed off. It's like um, tallest like um, single circuit roller coaster in existence right now is Fury 325 at 325 feet. The engineering exists to build a roller coaster that 400, 500 feet in height with the standard chain lift, but it would simply just go too fast when it gets to the bottom <laughs> that no theme park is big enough to like help burn that speed off on the, on the train. So, um, Yes, they could have like made the Big Thunder do a giant like plummet, but then I, it wouldn't fit the footprint of the attraction. So it kind of has to be constantly uh, turning in under itself. I think the most thrilling part of Big Thunder Mountain is uh, the goat. Do either yeah. of you know yeah. the goat trick? Yeah, Tess knows the goat yes. trick. Yes, I bought the shirt and that's what I wore and that's what I did like 10 times in three days. Oh, yes. Uh, Did you get vertigo from doing it 10 (laughs) times in three days? (laughs) I Uh, I was so excited to be reunited with the goat. Um, Yeah, go ahead and explain, Chris. (laughs) uh, For for those of you that don't know what the goat trick is, the second lift hill at the top, as you peek over, there's a goat chewing on some dynamite. And if you look at the goat as you're going down the curved drop uh, you will feel a great deal of lateral forces on your body if you're sitting on the left side of the train you'll be thrown into the seat pretty hard if you're sitting on the right side of the train you will be thrown into your riding partner very hard Um, and it's it's just like a fun little i don't know how the phenomenon works but uh it's great fun i had my sister do it for the first time when we went last time and she was like, her mind was blown. It was great. I, I mad respect to Disney for maintaining this coaster and honestly, honestly like space mountain as well. But I believe space mountain was retract, uh, in 2007 or something. Um, but big thunder, man, that thing runs great. Uh, it, it has a very similar yeah. like profile when it comes to the thrills, a lot of just like turns and banks and, tunnels and near miss elements 
Uh, the head chopper effect is what you get when like you see that train track going across your face and you're like, I got to put my hands down because like my hands are going to get chopped off if I put my hands up. <laughs> I have done, I've done big thunder mountain with my hands up full extension and I have never hit anything, but that is not uh, yeah. a recommendation for anyone listening to this podcast to try that at home. <laughs> I don't know how tall you are. Um, big thunder. I don't want to say it doesn't have a soundtrack. It has a very interesting soundtrack. It's like, um, these weird like whirs and like squeaks and squeals that come from the train or like are supposed to come from the train. And if you're, if you're anywhere near the attraction, whether it's in the queue or just kind of like along that Ridge, you'll hear that stuff very like subliminally. Um, and it creates kind of a cool, like when we were talking about attraction types, uh, I was a really big proponent of the kinetic energy of a land or of a space, um, and big thunder mountain for being a roller coaster. Um, and one that is enclosed a lot, I think, I think does a lot for the greater area of Frontierland. Disneyland Railroad, friends. <laughs> I know it. Uh, <sighs> I'm, a, I'm just a huge transportation ride fan. Yeah. Uh, I think they're really necessary for rounding out the Disneyland experience. And they're necessary for filling out the port. They're not yet primarily waving at people. Okay. I was, where was I yesterday? Or a couple of <laughs> days. Oh, I was at the San Diego Safari Park two days ago and we were on the tram ride and we passed another tram and I was waving the whole time and I got like five or six people to wave back at me. So these transportation rides are so necessary to, to rounding out the portfolio of attractions in the park. And that's what makes Disney stand out from its competitors are, are these smaller, high quality attractions. Disneyland Railroad, this, this idea is what started the whole thing, was Walt is obsessed with trains now, so he's got to have a place to put the trains. So let's make an amusement park that's all about trains. <laughs> and then, you know, one idea led to another, and then it became much more than that. But um, this, is, this is so important to the history of Disneyland, not just the place, but the idea. When I'm in the station, though, and that train pulls up, I cannot help but be impressed by the engineering marvel that is the locomotive. It, it's so many things in, in we are going to get, we're getting so philosophical right now, but <laughs> so many things that exist today, the form and the function are separated from each other. Uh, it, like the example that I was given the first time I heard about this concept was like a fork. If an alien species came down on a planet and they were like, what does a fork do? It probably pokes things because it's sharp. But if you like gave them an iPhone, they'd be like, I don't know. This is a plastic square. Don't know what it is. The same can be true sometimes for certain types of transportation, but like the locomotive is just a beautiful piece of engineering. Yeah. You look at it and you're like, this thing is built to move and go <laughs> forward. Uh, they keep these things so just beautiful. Uh, the the lead car. I've never ridden in the Lily Bell. Nearby. I don't know if it's still in the rotation. It is kind of a weird quirk of the attraction that you have like one train where the seats face forward and one train where the seats face inwards towards the park. I want to say I prefer the one where the seats face inward because... I feel like the point of the attraction is, I don't know. Well, now I'm not so sure. Is the point of the attraction like the actual sensation of like riding a locomotive or is it 
seeing the park from the outside looking in. Yeah. That, I don't know. I think probably a little bit of both. Yeah. I was just going to say that. Um, but I think, I think I like it for the latter more, just that kind of like bird's eye view. Um, I'm someone who is generally pretty good spatially. Like I'm good at orienting myself. If I'm like on the subway under the city and I come up, I generally know which direction to walk in, like to get to my destination. So I appreciate that the Disneyland railroad kind of does that for Disneyland park. You can go around and see where everything is, uh, plan out your day where you want to go. Um, and it's just, it's just kind of cool to go, to go around and see everything. Uh, I'm going with Disneyland railroad. All right. It is what it is. All right. Tess, you're breaking the tie. So, um, when I record with you guys and we're going through the top 16, um, or not the top 16, we're going through the seeds, you know, the first round, I'm just going with my gut. I try not to think it through it too much. And with Big Thunder and the railroad, this was the one that made me hesitate because they're both such great attractions and they're a big part of my experience of what I love in the park. I mean, Last time I was on here, when we were talking about OG attractions, I wanted Railroad to win, and you guys messed it up. So you guys know I do love the Railroad. <laughs> um, you guys were talking about the attraction soundtrack, or maybe lack thereof, of Big Thunder. And one part of the soundtrack um, experience that I love is at the end, when you get to um, Rainbow Caverns or whatever, and you hear the um, barbershop quartet at the end. And so the first time that I went to Disneyland since I was a kid, when I went when I was 16, that was the summer that we did um, our stage company community theater back home did Oklahoma and there's barbershop quartet in that show or not Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma. And so, or maybe it was Music Man, whatever it was. And there, the weekend that I went when I was 16, it was late at night, it was raining and everyone went home. So my friend and I went on Big Thunder over and over and over again. Like, I don't even think we had to get back in line. They let us down. And so they cut at the end, it's that they sing good night. So good night, ladies. And um, I thought that they changed the soundtrack because I had never heard it again until I went on it again at night. So I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but Rainbow Caverns plays different songs for daytime versus nighttime, which I find super cute. Um, The Lily Bell on in the train used to be kind of a special ticket kind of thing, like for free, where you could, if you got in line right at 8 a.m., they would give you a return time to go ride the Lily Bell. Now, just like with Walt's apartment, there's so much foot traffic that they, you know, make you pay extra money <laughs> to go on it. Um, so that's a bummer. I don't know. I love both these attractions, but if you have me on Instagram, it's probably no surprise that the number of times I did Big Thunder, that that's where my bias is. And so that's what's moving on for me is Big Thunder. All right. The wildest ride in the wilderness advances to the final four. To take on Space Mountain, that's going to be a great matchup. Yeah. Round of eight, rather. Wow. Um, all right. Next matchup, number four, Pirates of the Caribbean versus number 13, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. Uh, Smuggler's Run, I mean, I just did it for the first time like a few months ago. And I think, I, oh, okay, Tess has got the, <laughs> uh, what is that, Redhead? Uh, I, get, I mean, these are these are from like over 20 years ago. They're hand-me-downs, so I don't know if they're mm. supposed to be Pirate Red. Probably not, but they're just, you know, Pirate, Pirate S. New Orleans Square. Like it, I like it. 
Um, Smuggler's Run did not do a lot for me. Uh, I like I appreciate an interactive attraction, but this felt so cheap to me. Once you're inside the cockpit, okay. um, the queue is awesome. Yep, love uh, walking around underneath the underside of the Millennium Falcon. We had Chewie like doing repairs on it while we were waiting in line, and and that was one of my favorite parts of the day was watching him just like react to people chirping at him or like whatever. You kind of get a little, I don't know, a tour or like usually you wait, right? Like they have you wait in the Millennium Falcon. Like, I don't know what it's called. Lobby area or. Yeah. And like the like not the cargo hold, but like the the hangout area. Yeah. They have you wait until the next cabin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Main cabin. Yeah, sure. It's it's where they have the like uh, kind of like booth seating and they got. uh, Yeah. What is that called? Um. I know none of us are Star Wars crazy. So I was going to say Wizard's Chest, but that's Harry Potter. And then I was going to say Tri-Dimensional Chest, and that's Star Trek The Next Generation. So I don't <laughs> know what it's called. Yeah, and then like once we got into the cockpit, I was the I was the pilot. Okay. And I feel like I feel like that's like the best role to have, right? Like it's the like you have the the most uh, involved job in the ride. Or are there two pilots and like one controls up and down movement and one controls left, right movement? I think that's what it is. Yeah, there's two in each position and pilot's the only one where you have like a real job and one goes up and down the other left to right. Yeah, so I had like the best job to have and I didn't have fun like at all. <laughs> like there comes a point where the interactive element is is a little bit like too, too much. There's yeah. a little bit too much going on and, and you kind of like forget that you're in a super themed attraction. Same uh, sensation happened to me in Web Slingers. Web Slingers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, I just felt like I played a really crappy video game. Oh. I, I love Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I think it's incredible. Even for someone who doesn't really like Star Wars, I would be like, you got to go check it out because it is an impressive place to be. Yep, I agree. Um, Smuggler's Run, I, I don't need to go on it. Again, for a while, um, unless there was a really short wait. A Pirates of the Caribbean, come on. Pirates of the Caribbean is advancing. Yeah, it's Pirates. There's there's no discussion. Tess, any issues there? Nope. All right, let's move on to this next matchup. It's the number five Peter Pan's Flight versus the number 12 Mr. Toad's Wild Ride Battle of the Fantasyland Dark Rides. We talked about both of these pretty extensively in the 1955 bracket, so I don't really want to sit here and spend too much more time on them. I really want to talk about aesthetics, immersions. I want to talk a little bit about the rides themselves instead of the histories. And so like Peter Pan, huge footprint as far as fantasy land facades go. This thing like from the the old Christmas shop all the way down to its queue entrance. And then Mr. Toad has the little corner that's like right mm-hmm. next to it, right? Like if you're these are these are neighbors. These are side by side and it's funny how big of a footprint Peter Pan has. Peter Pan's flight amazing uh you know, facade that has the the large tower above it that has the weather vane and then if you stand at Snow White's and you look over at Peter Pan's like this Bavarian village 
that Fantasyland is kind of emulating to have the snow-capped peak of the Matterhorn behind it is just aesthetic, Instagram-ready everything. It's so, so great. Something we didn't talk about on that 55 bracket is how great, I think personally, the Fantasyland murals are in these loading queues. Something that like you don't necessarily need, but they thought of to kind of tell you the story of what you're about to encounter, right? It's these massive murals done by very talented artists so that you're looking at that instead of this, what is essentially a very basic amusement park loading system. Gives you something to look at as you're going through these switchbacks. And what I also really like about these are are the queues once you get inside. Uh, Mr. Toads has the queue that kind of wraps around his side yard (laughs) of Toad Hall. And Peter Pan's has the one that's right in front that might go all the way down to the castle gate, essentially, right? And once you get in, this like attention to detail woodwork of the posts and the theming and the painting, like it's just great. Peter Pan, hop on the ship. Ride system's pretty unique to the Fantasyland area. It the tracks above you, you're hovering uh, below it, you're flying through. We told the story, you know how it goes, you've been on it before. Three minute runtime, very quick, quick and easy. Bop, 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 you're out. Uh, the Mr. Toad Wild Ride. I love that it doesn't retell the story of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Like, this is, we know that Mr. Toad's crazy. If you've seen the short, you know he's crazy. He's crazy about the next best thing. He, he wants to upgrade from his horse and carriage, which he was already driving like a maniac. And then once he sees the, the new car, the Oldsmobile, he's like, I need that in my life right now. And I'm going to steal one in order to make it happen. Right. And so you're Mr. Toad with like car mania in this attraction. You, if you were somebody that's never driven a, a car before, this is what would happen. You'd be driving through Toad Hall. You'd be running through fences. You'd be chased by the cops. And apparently you would also be caught sentenced to hell <laughs> and then sent straight there it's just it's it is what it is it is a wild ride and i really really like that i think that it's something that's unexpected i don't think that disneyland attractions need to be retellings like maybe peter pan's is i don't think that and of of the ones that are retellings and of the ones that have basically gone unchanged. Mr. Toads, everyone understood that you're Mr. Toad, but no one could understand in the other ones that you were <laughs> the, the main character. And I think that's just because people want to see the retellings in the others, and then they really appreciated what Mr. Toads was, which was a wild ride, you as, as that character. Toad Hall which is the facade and the interior of this attraction queue. If you go back and watch Ichabod and Mr. Crane, which you are Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which we will, cause it's almost Halloween time is, uh, it's like an exact replica. Like the facades look the exact same. And then once you walk in, if you look up, there are straight up chandeliers in this queue. Like the lighting fixtures are straight yeah, yeah. up chandeliers. It's just, Everything about Mr. Toad feels like that attention to detail that you just love to see out of a Disney attraction. I'm going with the upset here. 
Peter Pan is hype. Peter Pan is way too hype. Mr. Toad, take that hype, put it to Mr. Toad. That's where it deserves. You have a lot more fun. It's a lot crazier. I just enjoy it. It's that same Disney magic telling a story that maybe you've never seen before because you haven't because it's a brand new one. I'm going Mr. Toad, number 12. This is what I have been trying to say for like two and a half years on this podcast. (laughs) And meanwhile, Peter Pan is out here winning best 1955 attraction. Peter Pan's out here winning uh, best Fantasyland attraction. Make it make sense, Kyle. Opinions change over time is how that happens. We as humans evolve and change over time. I've Uh, changed in the last two months since we talked 1955. (laughs) I I love to see it. I love to see it. I'm sorry if I came off as (laughs) abrasive. Um, I support your growth. I really do. Here's the thing that I love about Mr. Toad that you don't get from many attractions at Disneyland. I would say you get it a little bit with Pinocchio and Snow White, but not to the level of Mr. Toad. It's the closeness you get to the set pieces and the lighting and the props and stuff. Yes. It's like, yep. It's so, there are so many moments where you're like, if I really wanted to, I could just like reach out and grab that right now. (laughs) Or like, it's one of those things where it was pre like a protective halo effect where like they put it on the track to make sure that no one can do that. Uh, So every time I write it, I'm like, this should not be allowed. (laughs) We should not be, we should not be so close to this like functioning mechanical equipment. Totally. And that's what I, and then like, that's the quirky thing I love about Mr. Toad. I think, you know, the, the property that the ride is based on is not the strongest. I don't, I was, I was in a production of the wind in the willows. I think I mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even, like, even yeah, even, <laughs> even then, like, I don't, I don't need to ride Mr. Toad super often. Um, but I'm going to bring this up again. When we see the three seed take on the 14 seed. The best attractions in the park are attractions that you can get on. Okay. And Peter Pan is such a pain in the B to get on because (laughs) that line is excruciatingly slow and excruciatingly boring for a ride that is not very long. I hate it. I hate it for that reason. I will not ride it unless I'm doing a gumball rally or like I really feel like I have to. Right. I, I'm so happy that this ride is leaving the bracket in the first round and we can, <laughs> we can finally move on to something else. Uh, normally I would probably say Peter Pan's flight here, but I can't miss the opportunity to, to watch it go. So I'm going with Mr. Toad as well. Tess, do you agree with the power move by me there? Um, I almost forgot. So I put on my Peter Pan ears for anyone listening. Um, um for anyone listening for anyone that sees this which is kyle and chris um, <laughs> well okay so chris i i feel like when i was thinking about you know arguments that i would be making or you know hills to die on i do agree with like what is the payoff you know so like for peter pan the line's super long what's the payoff if you haven't done it in a long time the payoff's probably bigger than like standing in the line, getting halfway through the ride, breaking down and then deciding if you're going to stay in the line or not. Like it's just, it's not. Um, 
I think for future rounds, we, there may be some heated arguments about what that payoff is. So sure. I get it. When I go on Fantasyland attractions, I want I want the the line to be short. So I go on Mr. Tort. Mr. Toad. I go on Mr. Toad more often for sure. So I'm not mad. All right, let's hop over to the other side here. We've got the number two seed Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye versus number 15 Matterhorn. Now, these rides seem really different, but honestly, they have very similar personalities in that they were mind-blowing, impressive feats of engineering when they debuted and have not been aging particularly well. Okay. Matterhorn bobsled. I mean, look, I'm the coaster guy. I got to say it first. First tubular steel track coaster on the planet. Yep. This is this attraction was and is still a big deal uh, to coaster fans like me. (laughs) The thing that is frustrating about that um, is that it was built when health and safety codes were much more lax. And anyone who's been on the Matterhorn lately knows it is not the most enjoyable uh, roller coaster experience. They put new trains on a few years ago. They ditched the the spoon seating um, in favor of just like single seatbelt seats, which I, I prefer because it feels a little bit more comfortable and it's a little bit safer. But it's they can't they cannot they literally cannot do anything with the track. <laughs> yeah, it's stuck Most, inside of a mountain. It's stuck inside a mountain. Most coasters, uh, if if it's showing its age and they want to keep it around, they'll just retrack it. They'll be like, look, this wood coaster super rickety. Throw on some new track, um, and it's gonna ride much better. But <laughs> I think they said that if Disney wanted to retrack the Matterhorn, they would have to increase the size of the footprint of the Matterhorn by three to meet the, <laughs> the 2021 health and safety codes. Tell, tell the Lagoon like, goodbye. Goodbye, yeah, Lagoon. Which, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't, huh? I'm not saying, just saying. Um, so the, the actual roller coaster experience on the Matterhorn is not great. It's fun for like coaster history fans, maybe. Um, but definitely the best aspect of the Matterhorn is a, the theming super fun to be in this snowy mountain, um, that is mostly enclosed weaving in and out definitely feels like you're on a bobsled. Your butt is very close to the track. Yes. Uh, so, so I think they really nail kind of like the concept. They understood the assignment, the Imagineers. <laughs> The the Matterhorn is a tremendous weenie. I think we talked about weenies on the uh, attraction type bracket, but just like a big visual uh, landmark in the park that you can walk towards or just, it's just an icon. Um, Love, love that about the Matterhorn. It definitely seeing that kind of fake mountain in the park that is still somewhat realistic looking really inspires that sense of fantasy about Disneyland when you can look over and you can see it off in the distance. I like that a lot. Obviously the animatronics next level. Oh my goodness. That update was just phenomenal. So good. I mean, I cannot take my eyes off of those animatronics whenever I pass one of them on the Matterhorn track. Gotta, gotta look at them as long as possible to enjoy uh, the impressiveness I can't remember if I brought this up when we were talking about attraction types, but when it was my my sister's second birthday, so 2000. <laughs> okay, let's do this. 
And my parents offered to buy me a souvenir from the trip. And I bought like a tiny, like beanie baby stuffed Yeti. Oh, and, and I slept with it till I was probably 15 years old. Yeah. So that would be like, that would be like seven or eight years. Um, his name was Bill, Billy the Yeti. (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, like that, the Matterhorn was a ride I really enjoyed. I think I had it had a Matterhorn t-shirt too. Like when I was a little kid, I thought it was such a fun attraction. Um, love the music loop on the Matterhorn. Love the yodelers. Uh, love the yodelers. Um, but just as the years have gone on, it has just been slowly like drifting down my rankings of enjoyable Disney attractions simply because of the rough nature of the ride and just... It's getting a little bit more difficult for me to get down in that position <laughs> to get to get into the car and get in and out. I'm like, ah, it's getting a little tougher these days. And it's, da- it's down a lot lately. You know, like, uh, what do they say? The Matterhorn's like sinking a few inches every year and they have to just like keep reinforcing it to, to keep it standing. Jeez, oh, f- I hope not. A, f- <laughs> a, full, a full on like, like, front door size piece of the mountain fell off. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like this thing is is at what point do you put it out of its misery, you know? Sure. It's not like a dark ride where you can just redo it, you know? It's like it, it really has to be living uh on its last leg constantly or just gone. Like it would make me sad to see it gone, but at the same time it's like that's valuable real estate in the park. Indy. Indy has not aged well. It has aged better than the Matterhorn, probably. Uh, yeah. A lot of the most important effects in the traction still work, but a lot of them have stopped working over the years and have not been fixed or replaced or reinstated or whatever. Uh, obviously, the standout for me is that boulder at the very end of the attraction. It doesn't matter how many times I go on that thing. Uh, I still get a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> in, yeah. that, in that finale. Yeah. Hmm. I think I think uh, Matterhorn very a- atmospheric, but the thing that I think I appreciate about Indy more than the Matterhorn is that it really feels real. It really feels like a temple has been dropped into the heart of Adventureland, um, and like from the second you see the sign of the queue, you get this feeling of like, "Ooh, baby, yeah. ooh, baby, mm-hmm. we're we, we're going in," and this is this is really real. Totally, and the. Length of the queue is functional and that it gets you so far away from Adventureland into the actual show building of the attraction um, that it serves a, a practical purpose. But something about that long walk through the queue also kind of like puts you in the mood. And, and with every step you take deeper and deeper into this attraction, you feel yourself becoming further and further removed from the Disneyland park and what's outside. Um, by the time you get to the loading platform, you're like, I'm, I'm so far into like the earth right now, uh, that like my body is ready. My body is ready. Oh uh, yeah. I'm going with Indy. I think, I think pretty easily here. Like I said, Matterhorn tends to kind of like drift down my rankings, um, with every visit Indy, not looking as good as it used to, but I still think it's a top three attraction. Indy didn't even look as good as it used to when it was like four days old. This attraction was so <laughs> ambitious that they couldn't get any of the effects to hold up for more than a few weeks after opening. There's two very notable ones. Number one, when you enter uh, 
the 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 cave of Mara and you have to decide the car decides which door you're going to go through and there's three doors. Originally, the wall and ceiling would shift before your car got there, so you would feel like you were you were turning you're either taking the left center or right depending on how the wall and the ceiling was there but that it was always the same track right and then that track would have the effects the special effects to change it into the room that you were supposed to have chosen by looking into the eye of mara and those three rooms are the observatory of the future the chamber of earthly riches or the fountain of youth and you would go through one of those three and it would feel like you actually chose that. But now that wall is completely still and you just go through the same center door every single time. And then the walls change, which is like fine. It's a nice adaptation, but it would be so cool to feel like you're choosing actually a different door every single time you go on this ride. Second one, most notable, which I think that would heighten that first experience. So you get through your your whatever chamber you're in at this point you hook a left you go up that room was supposed to be like very dark and foggy and things you weren't supposed to you're supposed to feel like your car is like floating along the clouds as if you like you're being transported elsewhere and then you get into this like fiery pit of mara's cave and you pull up in the music crescendos and fire goes off but Mara's eye is shooting. There's like light beams that are going by. And one of those light beams is supposed to hit the ceiling above you. And that drops what was ice. And so like that was supposed to be the ceiling crumbling because Mara just shot out the ceiling. And the light effects would make it look like it was actual rock falling in front of you. Hmm. Incredible. Obviously, you can't just keep dropping ice. You can't keep hmm. producing ice and dropping it. 24 7 you know uh, basically 24 7 to keep this attraction running so that was an oversight on their part but those are two like they had these ambitious objectives and they tried to reach those outcomes and couldn't had to really scale it back including the ride vehicles themselves people were getting like whiplash and concussions and stuff from this from these ride vehicles and honestly i wish it was still there because i'm trying to get a concussion on indy I want this thing to <laughs> rock me into the snake pit. I just want to be absolutely jolted so bad. And as a kid, Chris, you tell this story all the time. You couldn't even get through the queue as a kid. Like <laughs> this did. thing, this thing is it's terrifying. Like, nope, I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. you're out. Exactly. And because the suspenseful buildup of that queue is the queue of all queues. I mean, that one rivals the rise queue, which we'll talk about later, like of just storytelling and building up to this big moment. Phenomenal work there. But I wish those effects still kind of stood in the place. You're right. It does not hold up as well. Indy is looking a little melted. Indy's looking a little jammed up these days. Can't really move as well. Jaw doesn't really move as well. And especially at the scene where he's holding the door open and your car actually stops and you watch him talk. No, mm -mm. not good. <laughs> not a good animatronic. But this attraction is now the staple of Adventureland. Adventureland has Jungle Cruise, which was the staple. But now you have Indy. And the, the adventureness is what the heck is through this bamboo thicket at this temple. And that storytelling is so great of that land itself. It's almost like you walk in familiar territory. You got some buildings, you got some shops, 
oh, there's a boat port because of course there would be like we're in this like adventurous place. There's a boat port that we can go on like a, a tourist cruise and then, oh, what's happening in there? Oh, that's where the adventurers are. That's where I want to go. Like that's I love that a lot about Indy and the area around it. Gonna need you all to put a little bit more respect on Bobby Gurr's mm-hmm. name and the Matterhorn because I don't like the disrespect. This is a 1959 attraction. Of course, it's gonna be rickety, and you're right. It's because they can't get rid of the tracks. But you know what I will say to convince myself that it's all part of the plan? If you're on a mountain, you're in a bobsled, and you're going down a mountain in a bobsled, and you're escaping a an abominable snowman. That's not gonna be a smooth ride, folks. It's going to be a bumpy, terrifying ride. And that's exactly what this is. You're dashing through caverns. You're making quick turns. You're getting jolted, halted around because you're hitting rocks. Because this is unexplored territory on this mountain. And you're escaping as fast as you can. That's why it's jolty. That's why it's bouncing. Not because there's a track. There's no track, Chris. This is the Matterhorn. You're going down a bobsled, an icy bobsled hill. But you're right. It hurts a lot. And it hurts your back most of the time. Uh, this is one of the attractions that I really enjoy because the night experience is different from the day experience. And you go up the mountain during the day, you come out of some of the sides and you see all of the park and it's beautiful daylight. And then you get back into the mountain at night, just darkness, just darkness all the time from in, in the mountain, you get swiped at by the Yeti. You're like, where did he come from? You hit the outer bank and it's just nighttime outside. It's such a different feeling and elevation of immersion that I can't really even equate to anything else. It's just such an incredible feeling that makes you want to ride it again that same night, despite it jolting your knees and hurting your back. I I love the Matterhorn so, so much. The best Disneyland attraction between 1994's Indiana Jones and 1959's Matterhorn bobsleds, I think I'm going to have to check all of the boxes of my qualifiers. And the attraction that does that is Indy. It's immersive. It fits its land. It tells a story. It's something that pushes the bound. I mean, the Matterhorn pushed the boundary of what technology could do. First tubular steel coaster. Indy's ride vehicles, unlike anything that had ever happened before, ever. Most of the effects are the same way. And you think about how big that show building is, you forget you're in a show building. You feel like you've entered a cave or you're even still outdoors. Like you don't know where you are. And there's few rides that make you suspend your disbelief further than Indy. So I agree with you. Tess, do you think the number two should be taken down the number 15 here? Yeah, uh, I, I think this is a, this is a good choice. Um, I have one question for you both though. Are you, do you like the old yodel yodel Matterhorn mm. or are you more of a scary, nothing but ice and screaming, uh, abominable snowman Yeti person? S- screaming Yeti, screaming Yeti. Chase me up that mountain, Yeti. That thing is terrifying and I love it. <laughs> Yo- yodel, every time yodel, yodel. Final answer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I'm always torn between the two, but um, I, I think out of everything that came out of different refurbs, it wasn't the, the change in from yodel to scary. It was putting uh, cushioned seats on the bobsled. Mm. So I will, I do appreciate that. All right, let's move on to this next matchup. It's the number seven Haunted Mansion 
versus the number 10 Splash Mountain. This is a disrespectful matchup here. I don't think that the Haunted Mansion should be a seven seed. I think this, this is a top five Disneyland attraction for me. Splash Mountain, iconic, sure. You can say Splash Mountain and people will know exactly what that ride is, even if they haven't been to a Disney park, right? It's, it's just known in pop culture what Splash Mountain is. But they might honest, even rap about it. They might even rap it. Construction workers might even rap about it. We need to get a construction worker on the pod and ask them if this was part of their training, was learning the Splash Mountain song. But this is disrespectful. I don't like this matchup. I don't like how low Haunted Mansion is. Honestly, don't like how high Splash Mountain is. Splash Mountain is a very fun flume ride. It is obviously themed to Song of the South or the characters from it, not necessarily telling the story of the movie. And it, you know, catchy songs. Animatronics, when they work, are fun, nice. They're hand-me-down animatronics from a previous attraction, America Sings. We'll let it happen. This is another Tony Baxter classic here who was tasked with livening up Bear Country. Dick Nunez, who was the Disneyland president at the time, wanted a flume ride. So this was supposed to be the zippity doodah river expedition or something like that. And Michael Eisner had just pushed out a movie from the adult studio Touchstone called Splash featuring Tom Hanks and said, hey, we've got this water-related movie. Let's call this thing Splash Mountain, even though it has nothing to do with the movie itself. And at one point, they were going to put in a character from Splash into Splash Mountain just to tie it in. Thank goodness they didn't. So, named after a Tom Hanks movie, has nothing to do with it, actually has to do with a now kind of, you know, uh, banished Disney film. And is about to change because of that. And we're going to get Tiana's drop it like it's hot over in <laughs> over in Critter Country. Haunted Mansion, the the lore is incredible. This facade sat outside, uh, out in the park for years before the attraction even happened. Talk about pushing technology. They were using effects that hadn't really been perfected ever uh, and it still holds up today as far as the uh, the illusion that this is a mysterious haunted house. Omnimover system, elite Disney attraction system. It's something that they can control the show with, which I think is part of what makes a good Disneyland attraction is how good is the show. That all goes into immersion. From the minute you enter that front yard, you're on the property of the Haunted Mansion and that experience you're feeling like you're touring a haunted house through the graveyards, through the pet cemetery, through the, the tombstones up on the hill, into the foyer, into the stretching portrait rooms, which sets the tone for the entire attraction. Things are about to get weird. Let's start out with this and, uh, and you know, let's see how this person just hung themselves about above you. All right, now let's go walk through a scary hallway. Huh? It's... It's very, it's just very good. This is such classic Disney storytelling at its finest. And I like that about it. I'm going number seven over the number 10 splash around here. The more time goes on that we have to think about this like Splash Mountain redo, uh, the more it kind of like astounds me 
just how long it took. Not yeah. because of the racism. Well, yes, because of the racism. Like how how do you leave an attraction standing for so long that even is tangentially related to something that you are so ashamed of that you won't even like mention it in in anything? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Let alone like put it on your streaming platform. But like it it doesn't it just doesn't add up. You know, so totally. I'm excited, very excited. Um, the flume is a very fun ride type for me, and Splash Mountain is the perfect log flume. It's so much better and so much different from the other log flumes that exist out there in the log flume uh, cinematic universe. Like <laughs> most log flumes uh, are just plastic. Yes. Uh, on all sides, yes. uh, no, not enclosing you at all. You're just out there in the open on some supports, uh, blue paint along the inside of the track. And you're a lot of times just like bobbing and weaving and like skidding up against the side of it because there's not enough uh, water in it. Or Chris, I talk about this all the time on the podcast. Now you're on the West Coast. You know where we're going, baby? Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. <laughs> Yes. There's a log flume there calling your name. It's just it, it's a ride type that is is one by one becoming more and more extinct. It is like yeah. the, the log flume is a critically endangered species right now. <laughs> so it it impresses me just how good Splash Mountain is um and how well it has aged. Uh when it comes to like the actual log flume element itself the actual ride like i was talking about with space mountain splash mountain does such a good job of hitting that perfect sweet spot of thrilling titillating exciting but not frustratingly uh intense or in this case like uh inconvenient <laughs> sure i i i have a hard time riding grizzly river because you get you get trenched and if mm -hmm. it's not the right temperature you're gonna have a, a, an annoying few hours while you dry off and if it's in your socks and shoes maybe the rest of your day yes whereas splash mountain for the most part you will get wet but you will get wet to a point where it's like uh you know someone just splashed water on your face <laughs> and and you're good you're good in in a little bit so i'm happy to see the ride system staying I hope that the rest is changed up enough that it feels like an entirely new experience and an entirely new show. I'm with you on Haunted Mansion advancing here. Haunted Mansion, I feel it in my body. I feel it in every single nook and cranny an inch of my being when I ride it. Uh, easy, easy one for me. Tess, do we agree here? Yeah, you put on the Haunted Mansion ears, so... Well... Well, these are Hades ears, but I was trying to go for something spooky-ish. Um, oh, it works. These ones, these ones light up, but I'll show you guys that next time. Um, <laughs> leave you hanging. Um, yeah, Haunted Mansion's always been a top three attraction for me, so definitely ready to say goodbye to Splash Mountain for the millionth time on this pod. All right, so let's move on to the next one. It's number three, Star Wars Rise of the Resistance versus number 14, Mad Tea Party. 
I said it with Peter Pan. The best rides are the ones that you can get on and Rise of the Resistance, you just cannot get on. Some people have claimed that like on not very crowded days in the park, they've been able to get on once. There was a post on Disney, Disneyland, Disney Reddit, Disneyland Reddit, I think. Uh, someone got on like three times in a day. And I don't know how that's possible. They said there was someone like waving a flag in Galaxy's Edge, Batu, and they like did a, a raid on Rise of the Resistance and everyone ah. got to go to the front of the line uh, and ride it. And that happened to them twice. That sounds made up. I don't, I don't nah. know what that is. It sounded like something you'd see on like the Disney Channel games. Like, oh, red team, we're <laughs> all going to, to take the furniture out of the yellow team's tent. Oh, here comes Mitchell Musso. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. He's back. It's he cannot back. not make it on an episode of Mouth Man. <laughs> this is a new attraction. So a lot of people's very first impression of this ride is why the F is this so hard to get on? Yeah. <laughs> and like, why can't I just go up to it and ride it? Like, why do I have to be, uh, have two phones out with a countdown and re refresh and, and do 0.5 second reaction time to be able to ride this attraction in my Disney day. It's just not a good at first impression, even for me, someone who's been to the park numerous times and like knows all that stuff. I'm like, I shouldn't have to do this, you know? Yeah. But alas, that's the popularity of Disney parks in 2021. Okay. Let's put that aspect aside. Um, after that, this ride is insanely good. Um, Absolutely. Like after I got off it the first time, I was legit like, this is better than Indy. This is the best ride in the park. Yes. From a from just a ride perspective. Yes. yes. It has it has everything going for it. I was really skeptical. The trackless dark ride thing, like I it can be done well like it is here. It can be done kind of cheaply and like as a cop out in for other things, but that's to be seen. <laughs> I, I was uh, rushed through the pre-show because I went during pandemic times and that was very frustrating for me. Yeah, um, totally. The, I was really impressed by the Stormtrooper room. I think most people are. And I was really disappointed that I had to kind of just walk straight through it without stopping yeah. and taking it in because... Uh, you know, as space becomes more and more of a premium at Disneyland Park in particular, um, corners naturally end up being cut. And this like stormtrooper room was the polar opposite of a cut corner. Yeah, they went all out. It they was said, like, yeah. They said, how much money do you have? And we're going to put <laughs> it all right here <laughs> and and like i like i said i appreciate that in in a time when it seems like things are getting smaller and less expensive and more efficient this was just like an imagineering flex of flexes totally and i i'm decent star wars fan but um even for a non-star wars fan it's like whoa this room is massive and it feels like we're actually in space um, I, I'm not gonna lie. I got into it. Like I got into the character. I got into like the, the idea of like, we are resistance fighters or captives or whatever. Um, and like, I was playing along. I mean, I'm the type of person who is like very inclined to do that. Yeah. Um, so like not super hard for someone like me, but the holding cell thing was a little goofy. I, I think the, 
Peter Parker looks better than um, Kylo Ren in that little like prison cell when he's like uh, up above you. Yeah. Uh, but then like once you get on the attraction, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm a little bit confused by... I thought Kylo Ren gets like sucked out of a window. In, and he got blowed up in a spaceship. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where we are in the timeline when you're on this attraction. Um I was not expecting the simulator aspect to like end it. Yeah, that was very cool. That was that was such a like um exhilarating way to cap off this like immersive experience. And you didn't even get to do the simulator to get onto it. There's a simulator no, to get no. onto the ship and then yeah so it's crazy it's crazy but just like the fact that you're going uh kind of just on like a normal dark ride flat then you lock into that little thing and then all of a sudden like you start bobbing around and your uh center of balance is all thrown off and you're experiencing different forces you haven't felt on the attraction yet uh so cool Yep. So cool. And and like so quick too. That's like that's like a 15, 20 second part of the ride. They did not have to include that at all. But it like I said, it's just a great way to end it. And uh, that feeds directly into the exit. And then everyone gets off the attraction and they're like, what? Yeah. It's crazy. Mad Tea Party, um, we talked about this many times on this podcast as well. So I won't do it too much. Um, I think it's fun to watch. I think it provides good kinetic energy to the land. The music loop is decent. It makes me want to barf because lateral G-forces are not my friend generally. Um, yeah, I'm going Rise of Resistance here. I know like it is very difficult to get on, but after like once you do get on it, it is it is God to your attraction. I think that I don't have enough time with Rise yet to crown it a a best Disneyland attraction in this this year of 2021 okay um i think i would say the same thing about indie if we did this bracket in 1995 i think i wouldn't have been able to sit with it well long enough because it hasn't really been indoctrined into what is disneyland the ride system superior to anything that's at disneyland storytelling superior to anything that's at disneyland but if you can't get on it you're not going to ride the ride at all i think that that's super important you can ride the teacups all the time and i think that what makes the teacups so disneyland is that it's so simple it's very thematically fitting it's very whimsy and it just makes you laugh and feel good it obviously doesn't make you feel good you throw up but like for some people that feeling it just brings this kind of like child joy to you to be spinning around in this whimsical area and i just really really like that and i like the night versus day i like just the aesthetics it's the reason why people i mean and it, chris this is probably the most two most photographed places attractions in disneyland are rise and this one <laughs> you're either taking a photo of the stormtrooper room or you're taking a photo of your friend in the teacup like that's those are the two quintessential disneyland photos besides the castle but i just i just get these like these disneyland feels when it comes to the mad tea party and i don't get the disneyland feels with really anything in galaxy's edge other than 
theming and immersiveness, which is that Disney magic, but I need it to become a, a more permanent part of the park before I feel good about advancing it. Tess, Tea Party, Rise of the Resistance. This one's up to you. Interesting. I don't think anyone was expecting that. <laughs> um, usually Chris pulls pulls those, but... Um, <laughs> Got him. Um, so I... I'm hearing what you guys are saying since as of now, you guys are more like park vacationers not going all the time. Yep. So I get that Galaxy's Edge is, you know, the newest addition to Disneyland. So I'm trying to take that perspective as a previous annual pass holder where that was kind of like, I don't know, like summer, what was it? Summer 2019 when Galaxy's Edge opened and everyone, no no one wanted to go to the parks and everyone was blacked out because everyone thought that everyone was going to be there and then the parks were empty. I mean, us pass holders were in Galaxy's Edge all the time. Yeah. That's just, you know, where we went. And I mean, I had the pleasure of going to Rise of the Resistance opening day. I was at Disneyland at, I don't even know, six in the morning or something. Um yeah, so like I talked about earlier, when I when you think about payoff, you know, like with Peter Pan, the payoff isn't great for the long wait time or the lack of access or whatever. For me, it's like, okay, Rise is hard to get on, but the payoff is so huge. There's no other experience like that, like it. Mad Tea Party, it adds a huge aesthetic element to the parks, but I don't have to ride it. Like I, like every time I pass by it or every trip, I'll take a picture of the teacups, you know, night or day. And it's beautiful. Yep. I don't have to ride it. My experience of the Disneyland trip, is it ruined if I don't get on rise? Like it's a bummer, but I can fill up my day. It's very much better if I get on it. Teacups, it's like, I don't know if it adds that much to me. So I know rise is hard to get on, but it's, it's, definitely a superior experience and worth the payoff in my opinion all right rise moves on which brings us to our final matchup of the round of 16 it's the number six jungle cruise versus the number 11 it's a small world we talked a ton about the jungle cruise there's quite literally not a lot more i can say about it than i did in the 1955 bracket cliff notes self-sustaining jungle ecosystem now exists at the jungle cruise the ride has changed over the years. Most recently, it has taken out the cultural, incorrect cultural depictions of natives in whatever fantasy jungle that this ride exists in. And now connects to this larger mythos that exists in the Disney park realms, which is the Society of Adventures and Explorers, Explorers and Adventures. And that is something that I have not explored enough, dove in deep enough into to talk about and especially because i haven't been on the newest jungle cruise attraction but you're on a boat you see some animatronic animals this the boat captain which we call a skipper is yelling jokes at us making us laugh having a good time you return back it's just a it's a fun immersive boat ride through the jungles of the world seeing some animatronics that are now kind of cheesy because they're not as realistic to our eye are more advanced visual effect eye than it was in the 50s. But it's still a staple of Adventureland. If there wasn't this, 
it would just be a jungle area and you would have Indy, which could hold its own, but it's nice to have this boat facade there. I also really like the Q loop. I really enjoy the radio transmission from the jungle navigation company is what it's called. And that's where the transmission is coming through. Uh, it's hosted by a Nigel Greenwater and he's telling us what's happening out on the jungle waters. It's usually funny scenarios like boats uh, bumping into things and then there's some pun joke that's associated with it. And then they're playing very 1930s music over the radio. I like it. I work to that music loop quite often, actually. I think it's phenomenal. It's a small world over in, I guess, what you can consider fantasy land. It's kind of its own little pocket of the park. This is this is just what Disneyland is to me. It, it just feels so Disneyland. It's whimsy. It's beautiful. It's artistic. It has Mary Blair's hands all over it. And I love me some Mary Blair. Mary Blair was a animator and color stylist at the Walt Disney Animation Studios. She was born in Texas, grew up in her 20s in Morgan Hill, California. Shout out Live Oak Acorns. <laughs> She went to San Jose State, then she went to the Chouinard Institute. So this is a, a Bay Area gal, and we love to see it. She teams up with Rolly Crump to create this crazy attraction called It's Small World for the 1964 World's Fair, uniting the children of the world, sponsored by UNICEF, because of course. And it's phenomenal. The facade is gorgeous. It is exactly what childhood wonder and innocence would create. It has the mid-century modernist of Mary Blair's artwork. It has the very cute uh, statue kids that are all throughout it. I don't mind the music. People love to rag on the music. I think people love to hate when others hate. And I think that it's just fine. I love the Sherman Brothers. I think it fits the ride perfectly. Not super hot on uh, the addition of the Disney characters. I think it's fine. I'm not one of those that is holding a... a a pitchfork at the gates saying, why did you put Mushu into the Asian area of this attraction? But I also kind of just like that it stood alone. It was just its own unique attraction. It's very nice. It's I, this is one that I go on every single time I'm at the parks. Usually because the usually, usually air quotes, big air quotes, you can get on it. Uh, sometimes if it's a crazy, it's just a dumb day in the parks, that line is like 45 minutes long and it's wrapping around itself. But most of the time you can get on it. And I think that's critical. Jungle Cruise can have some weights. It did have a fast pass for a while. I think Small World did as well. But here's the thing. Two boat rides that you go through some outdated kind of animatronics. One of them, you just sit through and enjoy. The other one, you might have to make eye contact with an actor and they might bring you into the scene and i do not want to be brought into the scene i'm usually more distracted by trying to not make eye contact on the jungle cruise than i am actually enjoying that attraction for that reason 1966 it's a small world is moving past the jungle cruise for me uh so tested a wardrobe change while you were doing that uh what is that uh jungle cruise hat or a small world hat or no, it's not. It's just kind of a neutral hat. This is from Etsy, and it has my favorite park snacks on it. Mm, 
okay. it has a dull whip flow and Nikki Waffle and Turo. So no, it's it's just neutral. I had to take off Hades for this round. <laughs> so both of these attractions to me feel very based Disneyland. They're yes. kind of like all around good attractions, offer some immersion, ones that everyone in the family can do. Do you like adventure and humor or do you like nice and gentle and sprightly and fantastic? Uh, choose your fighter. Um, I, there's an iconic Bower Sox family home movie <laughs> of me being too afraid to ride It's a Small World. Oh my gosh. Uh, we might have to tweet it because it's uh, it's fantastic. Please. Um, but so this is an attraction I I did, did I only recently started going on to be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think I think I mentioned this when we were talking about Fantasyland attractions. It's a small world is meant to be the ride that everyone who goes through the turnstiles goes on mm -hmm. it. Like you said, is usually pretty easy to get on, has a short line, has a very, very, um, entrancing, enchanting facade. Like you said, that just draws you in. Um, and you want to see what that's about, whether you're just spectating, um, and watching the, the cuckoo clock show that goes on or, uh, mm -hmm. or you're going in to explore what's inside. Uh, but I'm like you, I don't mind the Disneyland characters. I think it's done in a really subtle way. Um, and, and they still look kind of like on brand to the rest of the small world dolls. Um, Jungle Cruise, I, for being a kid and an adolescent that really enjoyed like theatrics and like drama and, you know, like I said, I like getting into character on the rise of the resistance and waving at people on transport attractions. <laughs> I never really got into the Jungle Cruise. Like, I huh. never really sat around and, like, memorized the Jungle Cruise spiel or, like, memorized Jungle Cruise skipper jokes. I'm not really sure why that is because it seems like it would be something that I would be super into. But, Absolutely. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's like you said. Like, you just don't, you just don't really want to be pulled into the show when the Jungle Cruise skipper is playing so hard. Yes. Um, and I think, I think for that reason, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of agree with your reasoning and I think I'm going to go with, it's a small world. It's big Disneyland vibes. It's based. And, uh, I like the song too. That's like just a nice way to kind of put a bow on that conversation. Tess, uh, are we good sending Jungle Cruise packing? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a hater of the experience. I'm more disappointed when it, you know, when either I can't understand the, ruffling of the uh. speaker or if the skipper is trying too hard as opposed to like the seasoned people who you know they are just naturally funny so I think that really makes the experience whole but I'm not I mean I love that I feel like the theater kid in me goes out and I'm the one one of the ones screaming O2H in the backside of water <laughs> like I love that stuff but I, I don't want to be the only one enjoying it on the boat so uh, I, I think the experience you, you rely on the people around you for that. So it's fine. Small world's great. All right. We've done it. We've made it to our elite eight and our elite eight looks a little bit like this. The number one space mountain versus the number eight, big thunder mountain railroad. 
Down the brackets, the number four Pirates of the Caribbean versus the number 12 Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Across the brackets, number two Indiana Jones Adventure versus the number seven The Haunted Mansion. And rounding out the Elite Eight is the number three Star Wars Rises of the Resistance versus the number 11 It's a Small World Test. Thank you so much for going on this trip around the parks with us yet again. We really appreciate your expertise and your tie breaking throughout this whole thing. And we cannot wait to have you back for round two. Yeah, I'm pretty nervous about these next uh, few matchups. So um, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be good. All right, everyone. Well, you know how to reach us. Do you have something to say about these Disney parks attractions? Uh, We would love to hear from you. Please email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or... uh, Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and our Discord chat is always lit 24-7 with Disneyland conversations. It's a great time. Please join us. Um, All of those are linked in the description of this podcast. Folks, thank you for joining us. And a ghost will follow you home. Uh